Welcome to the Back to the Bricks podcast, a new podcast about sports, faith, and culture. I'm Justin. And I'm Nick. Close friends turn mid-major rivals. Join us as we venture back to the Bricks. Welcome back to the Bricks. We are joined by Big Big Red Louie, site expert and co-host of the Big Red Louie podcast, Jacob Lane from Louisville, Kentucky. We're super excited to have him on. Uh, we already joked with him. He's the first non-professional athlete, so he's really carrying the mantle here for us normal people. But Jacob, let's just start with what's quarantine look like for you and how have you been making it work? You know, it's it's interesting. Quarantine at first didn't look like it was going to be a whole lot different with my wife having to go into work and, and us trying to figure out what to do with our daughter for daycare. But it actually has ended up with the whole family home uh, all eight hours of the day, nonstop. My, my daughter's been to my mother's maybe a few times, but it's been a lot of time just, you know, just, just trying to make hour by hour work with projects and fun things for her. And then for us trying to work full time jobs. Uh, and demanding industries that have not been slowed down at all by this, uh, by the pandemic. Uh, but it's been really, really sweet for the last three months to be at home every day with my daughter. Uh, daycare has a certain way of making you feel like you're missing out on some of the big moments in life. And and uh, her growth just, uh, you know, just physically and mentally and, and uh, her just kind of growing up and, and learning how to do different things. It Three months is a world difference at two and a half years old. Uh, so it's been really cool. Uh, a lot of writing at home, a lot of podcasting, a lot of extra time on my hands, and then a lot of sleep, which has been really nice. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. I, I was going to say, you guys have put out a lot of content um, in a little bit of time, so I think that's super awesome. I mean, we, we literally started this whole thing, and we're you know, nine, ten episodes deep at this point, so that's pretty cool to, to have that experience um, in this kind of weird season, but I, I think it's cool, like you said, to have the opportunity to spend time with family. I know we both have spent a lot of time with our uh, newly married wives. So okay. it's definitely, it's definitely okay. a, uh, it's a good experience. We, we've talked about how uh, we're glad we chose the people we did because if we didn't like this person on a, you know, on a friend kind of level, we'd be yeah. in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and you'd, you'd know, you'd be like, all right, this isn't going to work. But it's, it's so funny. I told my, my sister got married in September and I told her, you know, what a story you're going to have for your kids in 20 years that your first year of marriage was spent locked inside your house, like only with each other. What, what a weird way to start. And I'd be like, what? Is, what? Like, we can't go outside? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping we see a, like a, a spike of like marriages that stay together instead of the divorce rate continuing. You know, like maybe we'll get some like productive marriages out of this season. But I'm glad to hear that that yours is still still going great. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> if you had to give like a, a best moment and worst mo- moment of quarantine so far, what would you say? Uh, for me, the, the biggest thing, the best moment has been, I, I've been really working physically to get into the best shape of my life. I committed to myself in, uh, before 2020 that this was going to be the year. I've been putting it off for 10 years. I mean, uh, at, at 27 years old, I feel like I should be in the best shape of my life. And, and sorely, that's been a, an area that's kind of been lagging. Uh, and I've lost 30 pounds at this point and have put on muscle and really kind of reshaped the way that I look and mentally uh, have really seen some big, big leaps and growths as just, just the mental clarity that comes from working out. So that's been the best. The worst has just been not being able to see people and be around and just, that's a big part for me, community and being with friends and do it, just getting out of the house. That's been tough. Uh, I've literally not seen another male, uh, probably in three and a half months. Like it's just been my wife, and my daughter at home. Uh, my father lives in Idaho. So there obviously there's been no travel there. So it's just been me and a bunch of females. Uh, and so I'm like chomping at the bit to be able to get out and hang out with some of my friends. So that's, that's been tough. And I'm sure you guys are in the same boat. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. 
you kind of gave me a nice segue there. I was thinking about like online church and I think that's where it hits me every week of like the going to see certain people and you see people on a consistent basis, you know, just the like seeing faces and saying hi and kind of checking in with people and you just wake up and like go sit on the couch and it's like, this is not at all the same experience. It's just completely different. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's been, you know, the one thing is I think it's challenged me specifically to be a little bit more intentional with reaching out to friends and not letting, you know, obviously we can't hang out anyways before, you know, you have the option. It's kind of weird. Sometimes you want to avoid people you haven't seen in a while, but try to be more intentional with like reaching out and, you know, staying in touch with people who I would see, you know, or would want to see. Uh, so I, I think that that's been pretty fruitful and I'm pretty excited to see what that does. I think seeing people is going to be so weird. Uh, I'm hanging out with my best friend of 14 years tomorrow night. I have not seen him in three months. This is the longest we've ever gone since we were in seventh grade without hanging out. And I'm like, dude, it's going to be weird. I don't know what it's going to be like. What do we do? Right. Like we've been locked in our house with with no other interaction. What do we do? What do we talk about? Yeah, hundred percent. Like, I think it completely changes the way you relate to people. Like, yeah, I like what you said. Like, what are you going to talk about? I have, you know, we, we actually got the chance to go to like a little drive-by surprise reception kind of thing the other day. And even that was super weird. Cause it was like, we didn't get to go to the wedding, but then we did this, like show up in a parking lot and stand and wave at people. And then it was kind of like this awkward thing where it was like, please don't get in my six foot bubble. And like, I've never felt so protective of me and my wife in like an open space before, <laughs> just cause I was like, you know, we've done a great job of staying in this place and, you know, keeping ourselves quarantined. Don't mess up this bubble now. So I can't, I mean, and we're both, we're both teachers. So we're already stressed thinking about, you know, what does the fall look like? What's it going to look like to go back? Um, even if it's with, with some of the students, like, how are we going to tell, you know, fourth graders that they can't be six feet you know they can't be within six feet right they gotta wear a mask i mean right exactly exactly this is absolutely crazy yeah so what's it been like for you guys as teachers i mean how is it the semester the finish gone like is it something that's sustainable as a teaching model or is it like please get us out of this asap i can't do it uh i think it's i mean i think it's the schools have done a really good job of throwing something together and like in like short time. I mean, that is the good thing. Um, I don't know if the way we're doing it right now is sustainable, but I think if you give schools a summer, um, and administrators and people in charge of summer, I think they, they're going to come up with something that's best for everybody. Um, I have faith in that. I don't, I mean, I, I think we will. Um, but it's definitely weird. I mean, the reason you get into the job is for the students. And so interacting with students and being there for students and then you're at home and you're not with your students, but you're still trying to take care of them. And so that's been a weird um, dynamic, but I think, I mean, I've had students, some students have been really successful, you know, and so it's more self-initiative, that kind of thing. And so some students are better at that. So I think, I, I personally think we're going to come up with the best thing possible um, for the fall, no matter what that is. So I don't know how you feel about that, Nick. Yeah. I think uh, kind of a segue to what I want to talk about later, but I think it's kind of like, coaches on a you know if they have a short time frame to coach like the college football coaches are going to have to turn around their guys this summer like you're going to see who the best coach is which you know I think that's what what that is always going to produce and I think that's what you'll see with the teaching is you're going to see what who the best teachers are and who can actually adapt and I think um, you see that on an everyday basis and I don't think parents always always know that but it's we make moment by moment decisions and they talk about the fatigue that teachers have on a daily basis of making like a thousand to 2000 decisions in like six hours. And so I think from that standpoint that we will definitely figure out the way to do it. And administrators are hard at work, but I agree with you, Justin. Like, I think what we have now is probably not sustainable, but if you give us the summer, give us a real plan, I think we'll make it work. I think 
overall, I just would call for support from parents. And I think that's the hard thing during this season is to not get right. protective of your kid, you know, and, and that's fair. But I think mm-hmm. to try to trust the school system as much as possible. But with that said, uh, you know, Jacob, let's get into your specialty here. You know, we, we got to talk Louisville Cardinals. So we've, we've kind of talked a, a few times on this podcast about how I'm a Louisville Cardinal homer. Justin's unfortunately a Notre Dame Irish fan. Uh, we'll get to that at some point, uh, but let's just let's just get right into it. So the NCAA is back at it again. Could you give us like a little thirty second pitch of like where is Louisville at again with the NCAA? So what's our update here, and what's the next step? So obviously the big update is that the notice of allegations was finally served. We've known that was coming for what feels like in a, a century now. It's been two years, uh, but it's finally served. Uh, the punishments are exactly what they, or the, the allegations are exactly what they thought we, they would be with Jordan Fair being involved in a wiretap and, you know, discussing payment for a player, Kenny Johnson paying Brian Bowen's dad uh, money for rent in the Galt House. So we know about those recruiting violations and a few others. Uh, but what we didn't know is how Louisville was going to respond. What's the, what's the plan of attack? Because the last time they got absolutely taken by the NCAA because they laid down, they said, we'll do whatever you want. We'll cooperate however you want. And nobody, nobody ever knows how the NCAA is going to react, but uh, that right there really kind of set a precedent of, okay, you don't go to the NCAA and give them all of your dirty laundry. You let them do their work and then you fight it. And this time to hear uh, school president Neely Bendipudi, who was not here when this all took place and all of the actual uh, uh, allegations were committed. She wasn't here. Uh, Vince Tyre stood in, in the same uh, you know, line of, we're going to fight this. We're going to, we understand what we did wrong, but we're going to fight what we don't believe we did wrong. Uh, he was not here two years ago, three years ago. So there's been a huge change in administration. The program has made a lot of stuff internally different. The kids obviously aren't there anymore. Brian Bowen never played for Louisville. Uh, so we're back in the same boat of, okay, we know it's here, but what's the punishment? What do you do? Uh, does the NCAA absolutely take Louisville again and say, you were on probation, uh, you you did these, you know, hint. the fact that you could even go back out there and commit more recruiting violations is the fact that you should be punished. Or do they say, you know what, Rick Pitino is coaching a college basketball team. Kenny Johnson was coaching a basketball team. We we think that you guys have taken enough action where we're not gonna we're not gonna punish the players. We're gonna punish some other monetary or whether it's scholarship reduction, something like that. Uh, and that's what we just don't know. And until then, Chris Mack is in a very difficult place recruiting wise because I don't know what you tell kids when you really don't know the answer. I'm a Chris Mack guy, and so um, from his time at Xavier and stuff like that, I really liked Chris Mack. So that goes into my conversation I always have with this. Should Louisville be punished, or should the school that Richard Patino's at now and coaching at and the stuff, because the stuff happened under him, or should he be punished? You know what I mean? What, what's your take on that during all this? I mean, obviously, I think the answer is the people who committed the crime should be punished. And in in that case, it's Rick Pitino because he's the only one that can be punished at this point, right? The fact that he's in college basketball is kind of a joke because he oversaw a program that had two major, like major scandals. He oversaw it in both times claimed uh, claimed ignorance. I don't I didn't know about it. And now he's back in college basketball. And it's like, there's your easy target right there. But Uh, that goes to show that the NCAA, there's something missing here, right? Because you would think if that's the obvious target that they would go and they would take care of him, uh, whatever happened with Kenny Johnson and the NCAA meeting in the last couple of weeks obviously resulted in him losing his job at LaSalle. So there's something to that. But I think, I think that the NCAA is once again going to try to make an example uh, with the whole power five schools gaining more and more power. The NCAA is going to take this as every opportunity to slam a premier school and use them as an example while 
completely turning their back on schools like Kansas, who are the, the true traditional blood, uh, true blood, you know, big blood programs, Kentucky, Duke, they're going to close their eyes and let whatever happens happen there. But Louisville is the opportunity to look at all the other schools and say, hey, you guys, you can't, you can't do this, right? Those guys, they're doing whatever they're going to do. We're going to turn our back and act like we don't know what it is. And they're going to continue to win, continue to make college sports and college basketball what it is. But you guys can't do that. And we're going to punish you for the first opportunity of you messing up. And it's unfortunate for Chris Mack because, you know, I, I think he knew obviously they were going to, something was going to happen when he took the job, but uh, it's, it sounds like, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, I, I don't want to say hope, but they, maybe they think that they can beat some of this stuff. And it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. It just doesn't because the NCAA is the NCAA. Yeah, I think when I think through it, and we, we talked on the last podcast about the Power Five, especially in football, positioning themselves to get out. And I think even this fall, we might see that the push for that. We're going to play football. You've seen that. Um, even Louisville recently today saying, you know, here's our plan for that. Um, I think I think what you're seeing is Louisville trying to position itself for jumping with, with the Power Five. I mean, they are part of the Power Five. But like you said, the Blue Bloods, right? They're not in the traditional what's being protected by the NCAA historically. But I think even with what they're saying right now, like you said, Tyree said, absolutely not. We're going to fight this, you know. The president said that as well. I think they're positioning themselves for, one, we're going to attack right back at the NCAA, and two, like, we're going to jump ship if we get the opportunity, and, like, we're going to let you know that right now that, hey, we are the number one TV market when it comes to basketball. Hey, we we are the number one, you know, we are have one of the best arenas, if not the best arena in college basketball. We have the, you know, we have the potential to bring an NBA team to this city in a few years. Like, I think the market especially, I think they have to continue to say, this is a market you need to have in college basketball and you need to have in the NCAA and you know, you might lose it. And I think, I think they need to kind of throw that in their face. You would think so, but then the, the NCAA, if they were going to sit here and argue with you, you know, and, and have some truth serum, they'd say, well, we have Kentucky, the uh, university of Kentucky, and that's all we really need. If we've got them, it's game over. College basketball can go on, you know, they're on our side. We're good. Uh, so the, the, the importance of the Louisville market then becomes kind of relegated to not being as important. Uh, but Louisville has, is definitely showing signs of not being afraid of the NCAA. Going out and hiring the, the attorney who represented North Carolina during their scandal, that's a huge middle finger to the NCAA. That's almost that, – that's the nice way. That's the non-Snoop Dogg stripper money guns way of saying, like, F you. We're not going to listen to you. Um, and, and that was really interesting to see Tyree do that. Uh, and to me, I you know, fight as much as you can. You worry about the, the legal costs with the pandemic and everything that's going on you know, financially with schools losing out on some of that basketball revenue from the tournament, but fight it till you, you can't anymore. And and just hope for the best. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's get kind of positive here. So we, we touched on basketball. Let's move to football. That's what's next. Um, we're really, really hoping that uh, we start on time, but today, um, AD Vince Tyree did say that we're the first ACC school to release a plan. And he talked about some different dates beginning uh, with next week, May 27th, of, of having 30 football players and 15 members of other of the basketball programs, men and women coming back, and then kind of phasing in every two weeks-ish um, until we eventually can get to full team stuff. Um, and I, again, I think that this is a great move. And I think that, that Louisville's always had the power, I think, in like had the possibility of showing power to the NCAA. And finally, we're seeing okay, we're not going to just let Alabama and Auburn, who also came out with a plan today, you know, make the move and the SEC make the move and the Big 12 make the move. We're going to say we're going to play football, and we, we want you to know, you know, we're going to play football. We're going to do the things necessary to make that happen. And I, for one, am just super excited that 
one, we have a plan, and two, it's not what Dabo said of, you know, we're just going to be back and we're going to play in full stadiums because this is the United States of America because I think that's a ridiculous <laughs> response. And I know Justin's a big Dabo guy. He's not a big Clemson guy, but he's a big um, Dabo guy. But Please, please tell me that you weren't supportive of the video that came out with Dabo on TikTok. Oh, my day. goodness. going viral. That I is... would decommit. I would decommit immediately. I couldn't believe that. Uh, what's the guy's name that committed yesterday, Jacob, Bo- to Clemson? Bo Chandler. Yeah, playing baseball and football. I, I mean, after that, you can't commit to Clemson. I'm, and he's not. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves here. He's probably not going to be the future quarterback in Clemson, but he's going to play baseball. So good for him. But oh, that TikTok of Dabo Sweeney was just like the pinnacle of of awkward. It was it was bad. But but speaking of football, like what do you, what do you think what do you think it says of the Louisville program of putting themselves out there, being the first ACC team to say, here's our plan, here's what we're going to do, we're planning to play football. Yeah, I think that you can really see the business side of Vince Tyree of, of inspecting every avenue and really getting a full plan, you know, bringing t- his team in and, and all the experts getting all the information and then, you know, strategizing a plan. I think you can see that with him and him not being afraid to say, you know, Kentucky has has been one of the best states handling the coronavirus and, and the spread of it. Uh, if other things are opening that are similar and we can open safely, let's do it. Why not? especially because I believe they're going to open 14 days earlier than any other ACC opponent. I think somebody has, has since come out and said they're going to now open their training facility, but Louisville's going to have the jump start here. Um, and if you can get 30 guys in, I, I hope that you would bring in your, your 30 most veterans and get them ready and ready to go, like get them healthy, get them uh, ready for a camp and then start to kind of usher in the rest of your guys. Why not? And Vince absolutely knocked it out of the park here. Uh, the basketball players is that's a that's an interesting decision because there's obviously sports that are going to take place before uh, basketball does. That's a that's clearly to me a revenue play there of uh, being able to do whatever you can to get your basketball program back at the forefront. But otherwise, I think the plan is rock solid. And you know, like he said, if there's hiccups, we hit pause, we we wait and see what happens, and we go from there. Uh, but I think that if you can get back and start getting towards a little bit of normality in your uh, you know in your facilities and your your coaches being back, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, I wanted to kind of swing it to you. Notre Dame said something similar the other day, and I think they may even be the ones you were talking about, Jacob. They're, they're going to start early, and they're going to finish early for this semester to kind of prevent uh, when the flu season starts in the fall and into winter. So, Justin, do you think um, do you think Louisville's following suit with a program like Notre Dame, or do you think they're just they're just trying to stick it, stick it to the NCAA? What do you think the move is here? Well, I mean, let's just put it where it is. Louisville football is gaining a lot of momentum, and they, they don't want to lose that with Satterfield and his staff. They're doing a, they're doing a great job. And if they have an opportunity to go to go play and, and to do those things the right way, they can. I don't know how much of it is I get they're mad at the NCAA and all that, but I also think they want to they just want to play, you know. Right. And so that's that's a big thing for them too. I think we're going to see it more and more. Um, and then, like, in, in terms of Notre Dame, they say it all the time. There's God, there's country, and there's Notre Dame football. <laughs> so, there's going to be Notre Dame football, and there's going to be football across the whole country. It might look a little different um, fan-wise and stuff like that. But I think it's a big step for Louisville showing, one, they're putting precedent on their, their football. They're putting importance there, which is good for them. And, and Satterfield should feel like he's got some support there. And, two, it's just it's big for the whole whole college, all of college football, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I I think, like we talked about, the big programs kind of getting out in front of it. Um, but I think I think Louisville's not there. They're not on that tier of Notre Dame, of Alabama, of Auburn, of the LSU, those kind of schools. Obviously, we want to be there, you know. And I think that's something that might be attainable in you know five, eight years. I don't know. A lot of a lot of consistent nine, ten win seasons need to be ahead of us first. Um, and you know, rec- consistent recruiting classes. But 
I, I, I do love the, the we're here to play football. We're a football school. You know, we're not just a, we're an historically great basketball school. Um, we're now a baseball school too, so I, I'm sure you'll see him prioritize that as well. Now that we, you know, p- you know, make people pay money to sit in the seats there as well. Um, but I, I, I love, I just love the move. And so, Jacob, I got, I got to ask you, what should our expectations be for the Louisville Cardinal football team this year? Um, I, I personally have already found myself kind of being a little bit hesitant, kind of wondering, um, not that it's going to be a sophomore year slump, but that we need to have realistic expectations here of year two in the rebuild. There's at least going to be one loss. I'm just, I'm just. Saying that. <laughs> well, absolutely. Just saying uh, to yeah. Clemson, I would Clemson, agree. Right. To Clemson, yeah. to Clemson. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to November 21st eventually. But, but Jacob, what, what, what should our expectation be, and and where do you think we're going to be? Well, I think that the expectation, and this is going to sound silly, but it's to be better than last year. Um, you know, to win eight games right out of the gate, you've you've now set the ceiling and the bar pretty high for yourself, and you've got to be able to continue to jump over it at least when you've got the squad that they have coming back. So uh, I think that the expectation is to be better. Uh, now, what numerical value you put on that, I, you know, ESPN's FPI index coming out and saying that 10 and two is their projection was wild to me. I would have never pegged that, but uh, I think nine and three is, and even eight wins in a regular season and a ninth and a bowl win is absolutely doable and should be the ceiling because you're talking about Louisville bringing back an offense that uh, quite frankly, they haven't had since maybe 2016 in Lamar Jackson's Heisman Trophy year in terms of the caliber of production, not only a quarterback, but everywhere else, wide receiver, running back. Um, you've got a special duo in Hawkins and Hall. You've got Fitzpatrick and Tutu Atwell. I mean, the weapons are all there to have a very special year. And then you start to think about, well, what about all the depth issues that you heard about? What about the, the 28-man freshman class? Like, there's some issues that you kind of have. What about the defense? The defense was atrocious at parts last year. Miami and Kentucky were really bad. Um, how much better are they? And that's when you really start to, to kind of maybe walk back. Okay, eight wins is more likely. Uh, you, you would think that they'll be able to take a step forward because of continuity. They've got eight starters back. They've got a ton of freshmen who can play right away. But uh, to think that 10 or 11 wins is possible, I just don't see it. I don't think that that should be an expectation right now. Uh, maybe in a few years when he's had time to build back depth, but uh, I think that I think nine, eight, nine wins is very realistic this year and should be the expectation. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think what it kind of inspired us last year, and you talked about the depth issues. I think we definitely saw it late in the season, um, but I think we were inspired when we saw guys like Tutu and like Javion, um, and even Mikhail's growth, and, and encouraged to think, oh, you know, we can really make a big step next year. Um, but I'm definitely there with you. I think the tools are there offensively. Um, but, you know, that def- I think if the defense can, you know, run up and down the field and, you know, somewhat make tackles, then we will improve on seven or eight of our games last year. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm looking at eight and four. I think that's realistic. Um, I, I see a lot of over-unders right about there, seven and a half, eight. I, I feel good about eight wins in the regular season. Um, I definitely think, you know, Clemson's a loss. Mm-hmm. I think it's great that we have them week two. I think that's the best time to play Clemson. If not, right. if not week one, week two is the best time to play Clemson. We have Clemson on nine days. Um, we're coming off of th- we're opening with the Thursday night game, so that's nice. Um, but I, I definitely don't see that one that one going down, especially in in Memorial Stadium. That's you know in the Valley. That's not happening this year. I'd love it to, but it's not happening this year. Maybe next trip. Um, and then and then as I look down the list, you know, I think Florida State will be much improved. I would assume um, that Notre Dame game obviously in South Bend is going to be tough. 
I know Justin wants to weigh in on that. And I, and I do think the Kentucky game is probably going to be an L as well. I don't like to say that, but I don't think they're trending down anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, but as you kind of look down there, what would you peg as like, these are, these are probably the games we're going to drop and maybe even one or two of that, that could go either way for us. I think that the first two that come to mind are Clemson and Notre Dame, just because those are two top 10, top 15 programs. And is Louisville at the place yet to compete with programs like that? I'm not quite sure. Uh, from there, Kentucky is the next one I jump to immediately. And I say, well, if you couldn't stop the run last year, they bring back an even better quarterback who can run the football and they bring back the majority of their running back uh, and wide receiver crew minus Lynn Bowden. So they're not, like you said, they're not going backwards. They're only going forwards. That's going to be tough. Uh, and then the other game that I, you know, I wonder about is Virginia Tech. They're a, they're a top 25 team. This is Louisville's first time seeing them. I think it's like 1991. Uh, actually, no, they saw them in the, the Gator Bowl, but before that, it was like 91 or something. So they've only played them a few times. There, there's a ton of unfamiliarity there. You wonder on a, a night like Halloween, depending on what the crowd situation is, how does that impact the game? But outside of that, I think that the rest of those games, every one of them is winnable. I think that there is no reason why Louisville should drop games against teams like Syracuse, uh, Virginia, Wake Forest. A lot of these teams are losing key pieces and taking step backs. If you're growing and you're going upward, you should be beating these teams. Florida State is at the top of that list. That's a team that I number one number one game this season I have circled because I think that there's the motivation and the desire to beat Florida State and get back to the way that things were before Louisville started throwing interceptions late in games and losing them mm-hmm. two years in a row. I mean, what Florida State year two years before that Louisville, I mean they were much better than them. Obviously the 62 to 10 win, but the year after that uh, was a was a game that really shouldn't have even been as close as it was. So. Yeah, I think that Louisville has got the obviously the tough games that they've got to overcome with Clemson, Notre Dame, uh, Kentucky, Virginia Tech, but everything else. You tell me who's going to outscore Louisville, uh, and I don't think there's going to be very many teams on that list. Absolutely. Justin, wh- wh- where do you kind of kind of fill in there? Where do you think UCLs as well? I uh, After looking at the schedule, I had the same four, um, to be honest with you. I had those same four. I think um, knowing that Louisville-Kentucky rivalry, it's kind of what – what have you done for me lately kind of thing there. Your, your, your season is measured based off that game a little bit, um, just with it being a big rivalry there. Virginia Tech always plays tough. They're always a tough win. Um, and then Clemson is who they are. They're, they're good. I mean, they're going to they're gonna come back for a little revenge this year after getting a little embarrassed um, in that second half of the national championship game, you know. And so, um, which leaves me with, with my Irish. I, honestly, that game scares me um, just and because. It should. it should. Yeah. It, yeah, it should. I mean, I really we lose, that. and I'm not saying that as just a kind of pro, poking prodigy, but I really right. believe that that's a game Louisville could compete in. Right, absolutely, and um, we lose a lot defensively, which is scary against that offense, as you were saying. Um, and you know, Brian Kelly in, in November, late in the late in the season, October, November, he, he he's a little sketchy in those games, um, in big games, kind of thing. And anytime, not not gloating or being cocky here, but anytime a team comes to South Bend, Indiana they're looking to beat the Irish. And if you beat the Irish in South Bend and you're not a program like a Georgia or something like that, it's a huge win. I mean, it's a program changing win. So if you're going to win against the Irish um, and, you know, some say I, I would agree with this. The win that springboarded the Clemson program was um, the win against Notre Dame at, at, at in Clemson Um the, the bring your own guts game, you know, that, that Dabo game, BYOG, bring your own guts, you know, the Dabo game, the game. Springboard, your Notre Dame, that's what, you know, that's what does that. So, yeah, and it's funny you say that because I would have liked to have seen Louisville's springboard a little bit more off of the win that they got in South Bend in 2014 
but it didn't work out like that. Reggie Bonifant wasn't even the quarterback a year later, uh, but that's still the moment that kind of defines him. So Louisville didn't, they weren't quite as fortunate as Dabo and Clemson to get the, the jump start there from that win. Oh, absolutely. And I think um, I, I, I thought of initially that game as well. And uh, my wife's brother was at Notre Dame at that time. Um, and he, he talks about still to this day that that was the loudest away crowd he's ever heard in South mm. Bend. And so I think exactly what you just said, Justin, like it's going to be a big game. I think Louisville will travel as well as you can to South Bend, you know, get as many tickets as you possibly can. It's not cheap as an Irish fan anyways, but they'll travel the best way they can. Um, and, you know, it'll be a great atmosphere. And I think they will compete. And I think, you know, if you have, you know, if you're seven, eight wins at that point in the season, maybe even, you know, yeah, seven or eight at that point in the season, I think you're thinking, you know, why not us? Why not? Why not beat them here? And so I, I definitely would be worried uh, as an Irish fan, but I think I think they'll definitely they'll definitely probably pull it out at the end. But I think I think Louisville competes in that game for sure. And I think honestly, Kentucky scares me more, and I don't know why. But I think it's just the image of the pouring rain and the Lynn Bowden and the L's down every single twelve yards, twelve yards touchdown, twelve yards, yeah. twelve yards touchdown, and just the it was just embarrassing on so many levels, and it just put such a damper on the regular season and obviously we 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 kind of pulled that out with the bowl but i i mean I just that that's a hard image to get rid of um you know it, it's gotten lynn bowden so cocky that he's you know trash talking louisville recruits i mean come on man you're a professional football player at some point you know you know i was gonna have to take a shot there but not a big fan of him but um i, I hope he succeeds as a running back but i don't know that he will um uh, but i mean th that's just that that's where i you know where i kind of think through there is Kentucky's more scary to me. Notre Dame, I think the guys get up for for sure, and it's a competitive game. But but speaking of the offense, we got to talk about the offense. What's the ceiling, Jacob? What is the ceiling for this offense with Mikhail Cunningham, Tutu Atwell, Javion Hawkins, I, I mean Hassan Hall? You got every we got Dez and um, I'm blanking Chris Fitzpatrick this year. I mean we've got the whole squad. So yeah, and and there's the the list goes on and on. You left out Marshawn Ford, who led the absolutely. ACC in touchdowns for tight ends last season. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the ceiling is they could be the best offense in college football, and you could be talking about them up there at the same, you know, same level as Ohio State, Alabama, some of the big-name schools that, that Louisville traditionally wouldn't have any business being in any kind of category with. Um, and you look at how last season they got the best out of Tutu Atwell, they got the best out of JV and Hawkins. At the same time, they kind of didn't get Des involved at the level you would like to see. Uh, you know, the tight end position didn't come on until late. Marshawn Ford was a little bit different because of his fit in the offense. but uh, And they didn't really utilize any of their backups or any of the other um, talented players that they had on the roster. This season, they're going to have – not only do they have Tutu back, they have Javian back, they have Hassan Hall back, Mikhail Cunningham is back, Des Fitzpatrick, you add Christian Fitzpatrick. The list goes on and on of really, really explosive weapons. Uh, and if Satterfield's – what, what Keith Wynn told us the other night on our show from Card Chronicle was the offense last season, Dwayne Ledford, the offensive coordinator, he classified as vanilla. Like they, they, they did the bare minimum of what they could do, what they have in their wheelhouse last season. So a full off season, even if it's virtual, full off season of installing more wrinkles, uh, the offense is going to be scary. And if Mikhail Cunningham can, can capitalize on making those throws to the outside, the middle of the field, the, this, I mean, they really could be one of the top teams nationally in, in every offensive category. Yeah, I think I think the key there that I think through is the offensive line, um, and I think you're going to have to see some growth for some, from three or four guys for sure. Um, but I think if they can just be decent, 
you know, just be somewhat clean and not have stupid penalties, we can be really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, if that if that's vanilla, I can't wait to see what the other flavors are. Um, I yeah. just think they're. I mean, Justin, Justin and I were watching the first half of the Notre Dame game last year opener, and he. I mean, we came out. I mean, and I mean, if you'd watch Satterfield tape, you kind of know what he likes to do out of the pistol, and he loves to pull the tight end and things like that. But I mean, we looked more than vanilla on the first drive there, and and so I I don't know. I just get super excited about like what's the next level of that. Right, and and the thing is when I when I look at that Notre Dame game specifically of how good Scott Satterfield is, if you go back and look at his record from uh, the time he's been at App State of, of losing to a team the first time and coming back and playing them the second time, his record is really good. I forget what the exact number is. I wrote about it a little while ago, but he's really good at bouncing back and seeing film and knowing how to uh, correct and, and teach. Uh, and last season, I think that if we would have gotten Mikhail Cunningham at quarterback, say that, that Notre Dame game is week seven instead of week one, and you can get a – healthy Mikhail Cunningham and Tutu rocking up the sideline and Javion Hawkins really being the the back that we saw him become. Louisville could win that game. The, the first half, it, had it gone a little bit different with the fumble with Juwan Pass and and uh, some of the big running plays, that's a different game. Like that's a, Louisville offensively, they came out near perfect besides Juwan Pass throwing the ball in the dirt. Like they were doing just a couple of things differently. That's a game that, that it might not be a 14-point game at halftime or whatever the score was. So – uh, I think that next season you correct some of those small things. You add more to your offense, and, and you see Tutu Atwell throw a touchdown in the bowl game, like that kind of stuff. You add that into the mix of what they can do. They're scary. They are scary. And uh, if the defense can catch up to even a little bit, like if they even just take baby steps next year, 10 wins is not out of the realm of possibilities. Absolutely. So do you think the hype is real enough that we could say, I mean, like Mikhail's drawing on the Heisman predictions, you know, 125 to one. I mean, that's really low. Um, and even Javion's right there as well at 125 to one. Do you think that's even worth entertaining of like, could we get Mikhail as like the fourth guy to New York or is that way too far down the list? Uh, I, I would say now that's a bit premature and I, you're not crazy for saying it. The odds only confirmed what I thought, you know, a while ago, like if you start to kind of put the math together, that, I think it was that QB uh, efficiency stat where he was one pass away from qualifying. He would have been the top quarterback returning this season in, in terms of efficiency. And then all these other stats all off season are like, Holy crap. Like maybe he's a lot better than we thought he was. My thing is they just throw the football or they, they just run the football so much. Like can his stats elevate to where he's throwing 40 touchdowns instead of 21 or 22? Like can he double what he did last season? And that's where it starts to be like, I, you know, I don't really know. Typically the, the Heisman winner stats are unreal gaudy numbers that, that are just video game numbers. And I don't see him – the only player Louisville's ever had that's done that is Lamar Jackson. Uh, I don't see Mikhail Cunningham being able to replicate that enough to even get to New York. But now JV and Hawkins, say Hassan Hall goes down, you know, unfortunately in week one or week two, and JV and Hawkins has to go from uh, what I think he had like 250 carries or something like that, and he, he doubles his carries. And we're talking about a guy who could go for 18, 1700 yards as a running back, maybe double his touchdown mark. That's a guy, those kind of stats, I think if Louisville wins 10 games, that's a, that's a guy you could see more likely in New York because he's just a little bit different. Uh, but Mikhail, I don't, I just can't see it because there's so much more room for growth there. Uh, and, and an offense that really is built around running the football. Absolutely. I think what spoke volumes to me was Des Fitzpatrick coming back. And I think his stock was low. Um, and it was going to be in that offense to, to be in the NFL. I think he's going to probably have to fight to make a team, even though he's a guy who's got a body to play every day and play every down, but just seeing him come back and there wasn't like a, it, it didn't seem like it was a decision. 
he was coming back to play senior year with his brother. That's something he wanted to do, an opportunity he couldn't pass up. But then you see, like, we even go back to the Lynn Bowden thing, right? Our receiver, you know, throwing shade about not, you know, not being able to catch passes as as a receiver in Kentucky. But, I mean, that's what our offense does. And I so I think the culture <laughs> buy-in of, like – That was hey, the ironic are, like, part about that. I like, know. Bro, it's you're like, going to be blocking, man. Calm down. You're going to – shut out. You know, <laughs> shut up, man. When you're in on third down, you're blocking. Like, right. I, you know, when you play the first two years and don't catch a pass or get a target, you, you know, we'll come back to that. But, I mean, I I think the culture that – you just cannot over-talk over about what Satterfield has done culture-wise. And, and, Justin, I want to bring you in on that. Like, do you think – I think it's shades of Dabo here. I think it's a, just a different culture. And I think it's more than a guy who knows X's and O's. And obviously at a program like App State, he showed year after year, he could get better. He could, you know, turn around a program, you know, recruit guys and turn them into something crazy. But Justin, do you see shades of Dabo Sweeney and Scott Satterfield? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, all culture guys um, are like that and they all share the same kind of things. I mean, when you get to college football, every coach – normally is pretty good X's and O's wise because, you know, they had to sell that to the AD to get the job. You know, that's, that's number one thing you're asked. Probably when you go in, sit down, draw me up your best play, you know? So they're all, they're all pretty good X's and O's wise. The ones that separate the good and the great are those guys that can get buy-in from, from the top to the bottom of the roster. And so I think he has that. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you, you can compare him with all those great culture guys um, there. And so, yeah, he's got, he's got shades of Dabo. Definitely. Now, the difference is, and, and this will come with time, Dabo took culture and won with it, you know? And so that's what you got to do. If, you, if you're going to be up there with those dudes, you got to take your culture and you got to win with it. So well, time will tell that, you know? I'm rooting for him every other Saturday except for one. So, um, but th- that's the thing. You got to go win. Yeah, and I think I think for me, like, the culture jumps off the page, but he, he's going to have to recruit better. And if he doesn't recruit better, some of the, the naysayers are going to be in there about he's just not a guy who can get top recruits. He develops talent and he builds culture. But at a certain point, I think he's going to have to recruit at a really high level as well. Yeah, I think that you could question at what level does he have to recruit at? Like, does he have to go and get five-star guys, highly ranked four-star guys? I don't necessarily think so. Louisville's never traditionally done that. I mean, even Lamar Jackson was a, a really low-ranked four-star player. So Louisville's traditionally been a, a school that – and 247 Sports just acknowledge this. They're a school that's traditionally – develop talent to, to a really high level and taking them from two, three stars to being NFL players. Uh, but I do think that he's got to elevate his level of player that he goes after. You can't take project. You can't have 27 project players. You need, you need about 10 to 12 who can come in and right away it can be what Des Fitzpatrick was his redshirt freshman year or what some of these other guys that we've seen make impacts right away. Dorian Etheridge comes to mind. Like guys like that, he needs that. He's going to need some guys to step up, especially on defense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to kind of to leave off there with Louisville football. Um, I, I feel good about eight wins, and I, you know, hearing you talk, I, I'm definitely optimistic about the future um, in Louisville, and definitely, I definitely think we could win nine or ten. You know, is that realistic? At the end of the day, maybe not, but you know, maybe the hope's there. Maybe we're turning in the right. I think we're definitely going in the right direction. I don't think you can debate that. Um, and, and I and I think even just having a living, breathing head coach and quarterback coach is somewhere to start, much less an offensive coordinator and things like that. So. Quite an improvement. Um, let's take a, a brief left turn here. Um, we're big golf guys, and I know Justin's going to go off here, but we've got we've got this big match coming up this weekend. Tiger, Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Phil Mickelson. A little four ball, a little off and on. Justin, what? Why on earth should we be excited about Tiger Woods playing in an exhibition match? 
It's the red, man. Come on now. It's Tiger, dude. Like, you got Tiger Woods on a course. Tell me that's – tell me if you're a golf fan, you're not going to watch that. And tying in some of the last dance, you know, MJ needed reasons to, you know, go win. Tiger needed a reason to go beat Phil, and Phil's been talking trash for a year. So, it's going to be a good time. I'm expecting to see the green jacket at some point just because that's Tiger's go-to card with Phil right now. Um, and it's sports um, on TV that's not previously recorded. So, um yeah, I'm I'm gonna tune in partly because of Tiger and partly because it's live sports. <laughs> what do you think, Jacob? Are you excited for that as well? I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. I just heard about this for like 15 minutes ago, and I <laughs> like I'm not a golf guy at all. It's funny. I just texted my cohort at, at Big Red Louis Presley and said they're talking golf. What do I do? And he's like, you probably <laughs> should just leave. We I always joke about how boring golf is, but uh, to be honest with you, anything with Peyton Manning, his personality is in, is incredible. His jokes and quick wittiness, like he's going to be the star of the show there. Uh, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with whoever's team he's on, which I wasn't sure whose team he was on, but whoever yeah, he's, he's with, on, I'm taking them. He's, he's with, with Tiger, Tiger and oh, he's yeah, flexed. Win, he's yeah. he's flexed a lot. How many championships they've won combined? So a, he's very much going to lean on Tiger, and I think that's what I'm excited for is to see like the difference between Tiger and Phil playing like really quality golf and then like guys that are decent at golf, but are not professional golfers. Right. So I think that'll be it, interesting to see that balance. It's funny. I, now that we were actually talking about this, I remember I saw a clip yesterday on Twitter from Adam Lefko and he had a, he had a virtual interview with Tom Brady and they're talking about how Tom should put his, his Super Bowl rings down as ball markers to brag to Peyton of how much more he's won uh, in the NFL than he did. And I thought that was hysterical. That's hilarious. And Total Justin, mood. Justin, let me let me quiz you here real quick. What was the number one TV market on Sunday for the latest golf match with all the with all the young guys from TaylorMade? Do you know what the number one golf market was? Uh, I have no clue. Louisville, Kentucky had the number one viewership. So there you go. I, th I think that's because Presley Meyer had every TV on, on his house. <laughs> all of his friends, he told them to turn their TVs on. I didn't even know golf was on. Oh, it was it was funny though, and I think I think that that's what really encouraged me of like the we're starting to see sports adapt and we're starting to see different leagues adapt of you know, like the PGA is like, we're gonna start playing in three weeks, but we're gonna kind of endorse this event where four guys are gonna play. They're they're all tailor made guys. They're all gonna try to walk six feet apart. They're gonna try to demonstrate what sports are gonna look like. And they and they made hiccups and they touched their face. Ricky Fowler was getting kind of abused on Twitter because he t he kept touching his face. But they you know they did their best and they laughed about it and they did really didn't play that good because they've all been off for like 30, 40 days. But it was really right. nice to see like I, I just think it's one of those sports where it's like when we go out and play, it's not the same sport. Like you just can't tell me it's the same sport as like I we're big Jordan Spieth guys, and like Jordan's Jordan's whole thing is like aim small, miss small. And if you listen to him talk to his caddy, like he's picking like a leaf on a tree to aim at, and it's like I'm just like trying to hit grass. Like and so I think I think for me that was kind of encouraging to be like see these young guys having fun playing sports trying to show us like this is what we could do in the future with COVID nineteen and I don't know it was just kind of fun to see him be a little bit more human. Dustin Johnson put two in the water like really really poorly in the water like just to see guys be human was fantastic. But but uh, just just real quick, Justin, tell me why Tiger and Peyton are gonna win. Well, I mean, Tiger owns an island, so he's got like four <laughs> golf courses on that thing. So you best believe all he's been doing is playing golf. So that's – and he's Tiger Woods. That's that's why. That's a good enough reason for me. Tiger Woods full stop. I think that's definitely what's going to happen. Well, Jacob, uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, if you had to give 
kind of our listeners, and we'll, we'll say your listeners as well. We hope they join us as well. Uh, kind of a challenge as we kind of venture back into society here, um, but kind of are still being socially distant. What would you say is like a kind of some advice that you would have for us? You know, one of the, the things that um, our, my church specifically has really talked about during this time is what it looks like to care and love for others and to be, be the church outside of a building, right? Because that's been the, the talking points for the last eight weeks is the churches who are refusing to not congregate and uh, they feel like their liberties are being infringed upon. But whatever the discussion is there, that's not for me to debate. My, my thing is, what are you doing to take care of other people during times when uh, you have it fairly easy? I told you guys my life hasn't been totally impacted outside of working with my entire family from home. I've had a job. My wife has a job. We've been fortunate enough to be able to uh, to be in a spot where we can bless others and, and be uh, to share with people who don't have during this time. And my biggest thing for people, whether it's you want to debate wearing a mask or uh, you know where you should go and how you should live your life and whether or not you should come out of your house, it doesn't. That to me, that's not a, the discussion point. It's about what you know, th- putting other people's needs above your own. And, and how can you make sure that you're going out uh, and being an, ex- an example and a shining light during a time where so many people right now are just displaying an unreal amount of hate? Um, and so for me, that we've really just kind of focused on, you know, what do other people, what, what, is, what is required of us with other people right now in a different time? That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And do the right thing so that we can, you know, have some college football in the fall. I think, I think that's a that good way to spin it. We've always we've talked about that as well of like the the humane the humane side is like do the right thing so that other people can live. But also we do want to watch football. So let's find a, a humor balance in the middle. But exactly. Somebody said early on in the in the middle of you know when the, the social distancing matters and all that stuff was kind of coming out. Tell Paul Feinbaum to go and, and tell his audience that if you don't socially distance and quarantine, there will be no football. And you're talking about millions of people potentially flattening the curve. And here we are. We got a chance to play football in a few months and it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Jacob, for joining us. Make sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Absolutely. Make sure to check out the Big Big Red Louie website as well as their podcast. They do some great things and are always writing on the next best things in the Louisville Cardinals program. And we will catch you next time on The Bricks. Thank you for listening to the Back to the Bricks podcast. We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, send this podcast to a friend, or share this episode on your Instagram story. We'll see you back on the Bricks next time.